0: Welcome everybody to this train wreck sports podcast where we are here to pay the bills. It is Jake Micah joined by two Mike's. As always, this season, my friend Michael Partham and the OG himself, Mike Bunt, back on uh, your renamed podcast. We took we took okay. the name away, we made it our own, but we're so glad to have you back and, and talk to you again. Uh I think we I think if, mike, we you on we I believe we talked once last year on a pod too. I think this isn't our first time or we've been on at least the same pod at least once before, but I'm glad to have you on here again to talk a huge week and bill. I mean, we've had, a, and we didn't have a show last week, so we've had, a, we've got a lot to talk about, but this is a huge bills week from trade deadline action, which was definitely, you know, everybody was worried that there wasn't going to be anything happening. And there's been a lot going on this week, which for the bills roster and everything else. And then, uh, Kind of a big game Sunday night. I don't know. There's there's something going on there. But Mike, how are you, Mike Mike B, Mike P? How are you gonna do this? This is gonna Mike Michael. Should I go with that? But let's start. with hey, go go with
1: whatever. Yeah, I'm fine with Mike Michael. Whatever you want to call me. But uh, last uh, names
0: probably work better. At this yeah. <laughs> if you want to call me Bun
1: Bunt Cakes, I don't know. Whatever. Hey, whatever that's a want. good one. I like <laughs> Bun Cakes. Is that from like, something you got in fifth grade or something? Yeah. Whatever whatever nicknames come to mind, I'm good with it. But uh, I, thanks for having me on. Uh, glad to be uh, back in the old stopping grounds with Trainwreck <laughs> Sports. And like you said, a lot to talk about this week with the Bengals matchup and then all these uh, recent Bills acquisitions the, the last few days. How about you, Parthi? Uh, I think you might have invited the wrong person on, because according
2: to that graphic that was just on before we, we went live, uh, isn't it supposed to be a, an M-C-H-A-E-L instead of an M-I-C-H-A-E-L coming on this <laughs> podcast? I mean, am I, I coming to the wrong feet or something?
0: <laughs> listen, brother, I, I'm, I've am i been spinning all sorts of plates today, so I apologize for that. Okay,
2: <laughs> understandable.
0: <laughs> Getting a little punchy there. Yeah, yeah. This, oh, we are feeling. We are punchy. That is, that is for sure. I just got off a po- basketball podcast, so if I start making Giannis or Bucks references or something like that, just know that like my mm. brain is in a million places. But I'm locked That's in. That's the
2: Milwaukee Bucks, not the Young Bucks, correct?
0: <laughs> See, now, now you're throwing wrestling at me. Like my brain is going to be. We're going to have, we a, have good a lot. Time we wear a lot of hats here on train wreck. We do. We really do. That's what I. I have a tweet ready tomorrow because by the between Savers talk. Bills, high basketball, like my brain. I'm just, I'm getting everywhere here. We are, we're covering it all, but we're gonna have some fun tonight because it's a big week. Let alone looking back on how the trade deadline went and how the additions kind of uh, are gonna look to shape up with this roster. And then, as I mentioned before, like Bills Bengals this Sunday. We've been looking. I think this has been circled on everybody's calendar before the season uh, started, and when the schedule came out, for a lot of reasons between the how big of a game we thought it would be and how impactful it could be on the AFC between the team returning after the DeMar Hamlin incident last year and just seeing the kind of emotions and everything else that's going to bring. Um, I would I would highly recommend going and checking out uh, Catherine Fitzgerald's piece, the Buffalo News today regarding the DeMar Hamlin incident and just how much it's impacted people or just how much DeMar has been able to impact people positively out of this and everything else. But we're going to start with football talk. And the trade deadline came and went Tuesday. The timeline, I don't know about you guys. I was sitting there. I was at work and got no work done. I'm just scrolling, seeing the panic setting in everywhere. And I had faith that they were cooking up something. But Bunty, Rasul Douglas was uh, who the Bills ended up bringing in. It was a third-round pick. uh, They ship out. They get Douglas and a fifth back. So it's equivalent of about a mid-fourth was that the trade for the pick compensation was. How did you feel about the Douglas trade? I know that – I know that it's it's. it's I mean, it's addressing a need. It's a guy that a lot of people targeted as someone that they wanted the Bills to grab in free agency in years past um, as a potential guy to bring in. So how did you feel when you saw that the trade came down on Tuesday?
1: Yeah, I, w- I was pumped. This is a, a, a big-time move for the Bills' defense and their team as a whole. Uh, I know it's not a name that I would say the majority of Bills fans were very familiar with entering the trade da- deadline, there's bigger names out there like Jalen Johnson, but for the price uh, to get him, I think it's a huge home run for the Bills. Uh, giving up a third and then bringing back a fifth, uh, you're, you're essentially bringing in uh, low-end corner one, high-end corner two, just to move down uh, 40, 50 picks overall in the draft, which is a huge win for the Bills. He fits their scheme. Uh, they're going to be able to be flexible with him. Uh, he's a guy that has graded out as one of the top 20 to 25 corners uh, in the league this year out of over 120 cornerbacks uh, in the NFL. Uh, he is a good tackler. Uh, it's not going to be a huge adjustment period for him to, uh, to come to Buffalo, transition into this defense. And now you look at how things stand going into the difficult portion of uh, the Bills' schedule. They are definitely in a much better position to defend some of these better passing attacks than what they were just a few days ago. And you can even make an argument that based on the way Rasul Douglas is playing this year, that he actually has had a better season than what Trey White had prior Mm -hmm. to um, tearing his Achilles. I I know Trey is obviously a bigger name and has had more accolades, but Rasul Douglas has arguably been the better player um, this season. So uh, in, in that regard, your entire secondary now is sharp in a very good unit once again.
0: How'd you like the move, Parthi?
2: Well, selfishly, I was hoping for one of the high-end receivers, you know, uh, DeAndre Hopkins and whoever else. uh, Mm -hmm. I'm blanking on the guy from the Raiders now because he wasn't uh, exactly a possibility. They were holding on Adams, Devontae Adams, right. Uh, But next to that, I would say addressing pass defense is second to addressing your pass offense. And from everything I'm hearing and everything I'm seeing, uh, Razul's, uh, like Bunt was saying, he's pretty much a steal. Uh, Bean had said that he was actually looking into additional uh, upgrades for the offense as well. It, he he brought that up unprompted, so it's interesting to note that uh, he didn't have to be asked about it. He would put that out there that he wanted to improve the offense as well. Obviously, he didn't find a deal that he could uh, uh, was willing to do. But uh, it's also interesting to note that he was coercing Green Bay to trade Razul for the better part of a week or so. So this wasn't a last-minute call. He was having conversations with them for a few days now. Uh, Razul himself, he's been in a few different teams. He's been in uh, three different schemes, at least, in uh, Philly, Carolina, and latest was Green Bay, of course. Uh, what's been said about him? I heard is he needs to usually rely on veteran safeties, but we had that in spades here in Buffalo, so no no problems there. Uh, there's actually a team option for him uh, at 8.25 million next season, which according to our Cover One's own Greg Thompson, Greg Thompson is very doable. Uh, he I saw a chart that says he is higher than average in separation prevented and uh, as well as least percentage of targets faced. Uh, Benford and Teron rated a little bit higher than him, but it's well above what Dane Jackson's being rated. So uh is definitely an upgrade over Dane Jackson uh, as well. Uh, Bunt from your own uh, going deep podcast, you mentioned a few things along with uh, Kevin Massari and uh, Kevin Syracuse. Uh, Razul has had six interceptions in the fourth quarter and overtime since 2021. Ooh. And that's the most among quarterback cornerbacks in the league. Uh, Kevin Massari mentioned that he's 10th in PFF coverage grade. Now, of course, Aaron Quinn would uh, rightly point out that PFF grades are usually largely based on when you're targeted and don't usually take into when you're not targeted because your coverage is so good, but whatever that's worth, that sounds pretty good. Uh, Syracuse pointed out that he is the tallest cornerback in the roster right now at six, two and two ten. Mm-hmm. Uh Benford is a little comparable at six, one, two Oh five. All the other, all the others are at least below six foot. So, Pairing him with Benford against taller receivers is, looks like to be a good matchup. Uh, Razul's the only one who's missed with missed tackles less. He's, he's only had one season, Razul has, where his missed tackle percentage was above 9%. And usually other. Uh, players compared around maybe 14 or 15 percent. Uh Benford on our team hasn't missed one all season. So they could be a very good pairing uh when put together. Uh just a few anecdotes here. Uh Pat Moran from the Talking Buffalo podcast says he has some Packer friends in Florida who are big fans of Razul. And uh there's it's been said that multiple players on Green Bay as as far as last Sunday were coming to Razul for advice or guidance about things. So definitely a higher end say cornerback too as Bunt was saying, uh lower end quarterback one, and definitely one of those uh, team player culture guys that uh, Sean McDermott is big on.
0: Yeah, great points from you both. I think the biggest thing, and it's great that you mentioned, uh, talk from some other Packers fans, because that was my biggest takeaway right away in the immediacy, the immediate reaction from the trade and everything else is how many Packers fans and Packers content creators were like, man, did not want to lose Rasul. Like, that was like the last guy that a lot of, Like heart and soul team leader type of thing and just feels like he's going to fit perfectly into the cult and we posted a thing on our pay the bills earlier from his interview uh or his uh press press session earlier today or yesterday where it's like man i'm ready to run through a wall for this guy like he's like he just seems like a type of infectious positive attitude that is going to fit perfectly in here and like you guys said on the field it seems to be a great fit too um i really love the size that's a big thing for me i love size with your uh perimeter corners and he's a guy who's had versatility too he's played on the inside as well so if there is you know we had a scare earlier in the season terry johnson runs off the field comes back on in london but if there is like that's a great to have some more depth um on both sides of the on both sides whether it's in the slot or on the perimeter it makes dane jackson i feel like he's so much more valuable now as that depth corner because he's a guy who you can step in and just have faith that he's going to be able to play admirably and be able to come in and, and run the system and, and play well now. But this seems like a Russell has the highest, maybe not a higher ceiling than Benford, but with the chances he's willing to take and the turnovers he's been willing he's been able to create in his career and everything else. And just to solidify the cornerback position after so much unknown going back to last year. I mean they've been dealing with injuries at cornerback for the better part of a year and a half now. I mean, really, I guess really since Trey got injured on Thanksgiving a couple of years ago. And so to kind of just have some like, whew, OK, we have this position. We have guys there. Obviously, Elam gets sent to IR today, but that's a guy, too, who maybe he comes back and will have a bigger role because um, or not a bigger role, but still have a role in this team. There was a lot of a lot of Elam discourse. We'll get into that later mm-hmm. on when we talk about the Linval Joseph move, because that obviously was what triggered Elam to the IR. But I still feel like there's a, from coming out of the press conference, it seemed like Bean was like, there's a role for this guy. He's more hurt than you guys think he is. And that's that's something that I don't think a lot of people consider how, how hurt guys can be when they're on the field and what they're actually playing through, especially, you know, on a short week when he got sat for that Thursday night game. Like you're coming off a, a three-day rest. Clearly he wasn't ready to go, but um, I really like this move. I think it solidifies a position that clearly this team – I mean, the first, the first draft pick by Sean McDermott was Trey White, right? Like, we've heard that a lot. But that's clearly a position that they covet and feel like is vital to the success of their defense. And now, with how the defense has looked the last couple weeks and, and just, you know, the long-term outlook and coming into this six-week stretch that could be so brutal, it's I'm just very happy to know that they solidified uh, a really important piece um, on that defensive back end. But let's go to the other side of the ball. Leonard Fournette. Playoff Lenny Lombardi Lenny whatever you want to call him Bunty he the rumors started what is it last week was in the first rumor started maybe it was 2 weeks ago that he was coming in and then didn't sign but officially signs this week he shows up to practice yesterday he's already complaining about the cold I don't know how was it that cold today in Buffalo guys was it it was like like 50 degrees 45 degrees it
1: it, it was a pretty cold day from the south it it would be pretty
0: cold it takes an adjustment yeah that's the thing is when you're coming from the south it's it's gonna take you a minute but he was he was out in his shorts and and t-shirt yesterday showing that he's a tough guy but he looks like he's in shape um personally i i like the move bunty just because you know with harris gone I, i think that it's just good to have another option back there. If you, if you're down one James cook injury to Latavius Murray, I don't think that that's a situation that this team really wants to be regardless of how good they feel about Latavius Murray, but how do you feel about Fournette, And uh, what do you expect from him? Do you expect him to have a large role on this team? Obviously he signed to the practice squad first, but I imagine he gets elevated from there and signed sometime before the end of the year.
1: Yeah, so I, I don't expect a massive role for Leonard Fournette going forward. I expect him to be the third third string running back on this squad behind Cook and Murray. I can tell you that the Bills have been exploring the possibility of adding Fournette uh, for quite a while now. This this isn't something that just popped up in the last few yeah. weeks. I know it started getting reported at that point, but the Bills have been monitoring Fournette for practically the entire entire season, going back to the summer. So this was something that they always had as a, a possibility if things uh, were to were to fall a certain way. And now with Harris out, uh, it, it just made too much sense uh, to add uh, another guy that you could have as a short yardage goal line type back. Uh, that was what Harris's role was supposed to be going into the year. Uh, Murray has... Uh, that since been relegated that role, uh, not relegated, but, but given that role and um, unfortunately really hasn't been great at finishing in the red zone uh, the last few weeks. I know a lot of people talk about the shotgun runs, um, but uh, those aren't just called those aren't always bad play calls just because they don't work. You, you do expect to finish those off. Uh, still and you have the threat of the RPO with Josh running and and Murray has been one of the, the lower rated running backs in the league at finishing at goal to go situations so far this year so it's clear the Bills felt they needed another big body because you're not going to be giving those those carries to James Cook uh, inside the one and two yard line so I think Fournette uh, adds to that and he, he's also a sneaky decent receiver He he's had a yeah. Uh, over 70 receptions before in a season. He was a check down man for Tom Brady a bunch last year. So what will he be? I, I think he's going to be on the practice squad a week or two, and then they're eventually going to ramp him up, or at least that's the plan uh, inside the building for him at the current moment. As long as he's in shape, uh, I'd expect Fournette to be part of the the active roster in just a matter of time. Yeah, just glancing over Fournette's statistics,
2: uh, his last year, 2022, only three rushing touchdowns the whole season off of 189 carries. He did add uh, three receiving touchdowns on top of that, but it was a 73-catch season for him, so he de- he got his share of passing catches. Uh, but important to remember that uh, pass-catching running backs that were thought to have been were going to be utilized by this Bill's offense in the past didn't really pan out. Guys like T.J. Yeldon and the – now injured naheem hines cook showed a few flashes in the last game against the uh, bucks coming out of the backfield and catching a few balls and getting some good yardage here and there so uh i would say yeah goal line situations might be better for uh leonard fournette uh replacing damian harris and like you said latavius murray has been stopped at four times i believe in goal-to-goal situations which would be the most in the league so is is there a replacement for that down the line if uh if he's not your primary running back, if he's not a season long, you know, Bell Cow running back, if you just save him for the stretch run in the playoffs, then maybe he can be productive for you. So, you know, if he's on the practice squad for the time being you can elevate him anytime you want. So we'll see how it works out.
0: Yeah, I, I'm I'm with you guys completely. I, I think it's a, a low risk, high reward move. It's a guy that it's a position of need. I I like having depth there and just having more options and i think that i i wonder how much um bunty you said that they've been they were exploring Fournette for most of the most of the season and is, was that a i mean i'm sure that that was the, the front office but i wonder how many how much of this is the players that wanted to get him in there and guys that have worked out with him and saw him and just you know knowing the pedigree of him and everything else it feels like he's a guy that is going to be is loved in the locker rooms he's been in obviously maybe not by Shaq Lawson before, but they had a nice little reunion yesterday. That was a nice to see and everything. But I think that Fournette, he's been a guy that teams have, you know, the, the bucks talked highly of him as a guy loved being around him. He seems like a fun guy to be around and bring into the room. Um, I think it's. I don't think it hurts to do this. Do this move, and it's crazy that the Bills are in the position where they can go pick up a guy like Fournette and and a guy who could probably go sign with a bunch of contenders wants to come to Buffalo, even if he's going to be freezing for the first time in his life. So it's good to see. I'm happy that they're adding to the offense. Happy that they're addressing uh, addressing a hole when with Harris going down. Still sad to see that he's not going to be back this year, but I'm happy that Fournette's going to be in the fold. Let's talk with the. I think. The, the biggest signing, I guess, uh, of literally the day. <laughs> big boy Linval Joseph signs today. Finally, we knew they were after a D tackle Uh but Linval Joseph officially signs Kair Elam to the ER or IR. How do you feel about uh, Linval Joseph bringing in? Do you expect him? Go ahead. Well, first off, let me ask, uh, but uh, how much was Greg Tonsit shit-talking everybody in your private chats
2: when Lindvall got signed? How much was he saying, yeah, I told you so, I called it?
1: You know, he, he's gotten so good at it that we're just used to him being close to being <laughs> the, the case all the time. He, he really didn't talk too much about it, but there was, there was knowledge within that, yeah, you did it again. You got it right. Good job. Uh, we'll give you credit. But... Uh, yeah, it, it, that was a quality November signing that you don't expect. Yeah, uh, obviously we heard the news yesterday that Bean was exploring the defensive tackle market. A lot of people brought up names like Indama um Matt Ioannidis. Uh, there was a possibility of practice squad guys, but Linval Joseph makes a lot of sense. Uh, he's a natural. Uh, fit in the one tech, with the, which the Bills really needed with Daquan Jones out uh, for the foreseeable future. And this really lets the Bills go back to doing what they do best defensively. Ed Oliver can continue to uh, to feast, uh, attack, be aggressive, and Limbell Joseph is going to just occupy space. Uh, this should help them uh, in the run game defensively and This should also help them generate more pressure once again. Uh, Since Daquan went down, I think an understated thing with the Bills defense is they just they haven't been getting to the quarterback as much. Uh, The first three, four games of the year, they were on uh, a record pace for sacks for this organization. And that really has decreased in recent weeks and also coincides with them. Uh, doubling their blitz percent so they, they they essentially needed to double their blitz percentage just to keep up the same amount of pressure rate that they had before when Daquan was in so Linville Joseph isn't going to have the explosiveness of what Daquan Jones can provide um, Jones is not only a master at getting double team but he's also a master at penetrating and breaking through double teams. Mm -hmm. You're not going to really see that from Linville Joseph at this point, but even if he can just do the Star Toulouse rule and just occupy space, that'll be a tremendous help for this team. You're talking about a guy that is, I believe, 6'4", 330-plus pounds, has started 170 out of 179 games uh, during his NFL career. Obviously not at the elite level he once was, but this was a guy that during his prime – was one of the best D tackles in football, has made the Pro Bowl before um, last year, limited stint in Philadelphia. But in a way, it almost works out best for both teams, uh, for both sides, Linville and the Bills, because Linville gets uh, to join a contender midseason, skips training camp, kind of gets a little bit of a break, fresh body, and now he's going to be ready to go for the the stretch run. He went right into Philadelphia last year and was able to contribute right away. And the Eagles pass Russ was already good. It elevated to being great once he went uh, in their defensive um, defensive line. So I'm excited about it. I don't expect him to be a high percentage of snaps or a high percentage share um, early on, but anytime he's on the field, it's probably going to be an upgrade over when you have Jordan Phillips or Tim settle occupying that position. Yeah.
2: Hmm. I believe Mitch Morse was quoted that saying years ago that facing Lindvall was his welcome to the NFL moment. Uh, this is a guy who's considered the strongest man in the NFL. I believe it was reported that he can squat over 600 pounds. Oh so God. he is a double teaming force to be reckoned with. Uh, uh, Bunk, can you uh, go into a little bit of specifics? Because I have heard that uh, Lynn Ball is also a zero tech defensive tackle or is actually a primarily zero tech. Can you go into a little specifics on... Uh, the difference between a one-tech and a zero-tech defensive tackle.
1: So I, I'm not the, the inside X and O's guy, but I, I do okay. know that in Philadelphia, he was more of the zero-tech. In Buffalo, uh, he's going to be the one-tech, essentially, like I said, taking over the role that Daquan and and Starla Tulele uh, before him have, taken, have had for the Bills. And essentially, he's going to be the guy that faces the double teams and lets at Oliver cook. Essentially, when Daquan is out and you have Jordan Phillips or Tim Settle next to Ed Oliver, Ed Oliver's job becomes way, way, way more difficult, which kind of then takes him out of these games at times where he's not able to be the the disruptive playmaker that you really drafted him to be 10th overall. A guy like Linval Joseph, by him taking these double teams, by him taking up the space, it makes – uh, Ed Oliver's job easier. It makes the job easier for the linebackers behind them because they can shoot their gaps. It, it's, it just makes life better for all the surrounding players uh, on the defense. So it's one of those guys that when he's on the field, you're not really going to hear his name much. You're not going to hear him sacking the quarterback. You're not going to see him getting a ton of tackles. But if you don't hear his name and you start hearing Bernard with a tackle for a one-yard gain – Ed Oliver in the backfield for a one-yard loss. You're going to realize they're able to do what they're doing because he's doing their his job uh, yeah. right now. So that I think is going to be uh, a positive. And if they get DaQuan Jones back uh, before the postseason or even for the postseason, and you have the now you have DaQuan Jones and Lim Val, uh Limval Joseph in a rotation. Wow, that that that's when it gets really scary because. You're not going to have a drop. You're not going to have a major drop off. You're going to have a, a top end one tack on the field at almost all times. Mm-hmm. So that that's a very exciting possibility to me. And then just one quick thing with the Kyer Elam on mm-hmm. IR. I I can tell you I don't buy the injury. Uh, okay. Newton from the Bills right now. I understand they have to report an injury to put him on IR. I know that he is banged up, that he is dealing with some stuff. Mm -hmm. But was this an injury that warrants being put on IR? I don't believe so, in my Mm -hmm. opinion. Uh, I think Kair would have been fine to go last Thursday night if asked uh, to go. To me, this is an IR stash right now. They are putting him on IR to protect his roster spot while also being able to activate another player. So I know that's not always a popular take, but all signs to me point to this as he wasn't going to be trusted to play anytime soon. And they didn't want to lose a roster spot for for someone that they know if they had to uh, put down would easily
0: get claimed by someone else. Well, you are, you're great at this because that was my next question. That was the exact question I had about Kyrie because there was a lot, there was some of that sentiment from the Bean press conference yesterday. The the ears kind of perking up when he mentioned that the, you know, maybe guys, guys are a little more hurt than you think and whatever else. And I, because the initial thing, it just, and I don't know you, I would love to hear from you Bunty and you Parthy, about uh, just what you think about this, because just because, being in mcdermott they're usually in lockstep on everything they want to do but brandon bean has gone on multiple i've heard him in multiple interviews when asked about the relationship with mcdermott and everything else be like we don't agree on everything we don't always see eye to eye but we make it work and this feels like a situation like you said to stash him and put him away and kind of just like we want to keep him but let's deal with this issue four weeks from now maybe or whatever else and the, the the beauty of this IR rule that they have now that they can, they can actually do this and, and figure something out. But I feel like the, the coaching staff doesn't trust him. And the the G, the front office was not going to get rid of him for an asset lesson that, that, what were they saying? They were getting a uh, six round pick offers or something like that was the talks like that's not worth giving up on a guy a year and a half into his career. And I do feel like there is some kind of disconnect between what the front office believes Kyir can be and what the coaching staff, sees him as he is right now. And this is a team trying to win a Super Bowl this year. And there's a thin mark. Like if you put him out there and you don't think he's ready, you don't have that trust in him. That can be debilitating, not only to the team just on the field, but what about the guys in the room? Like that, you know, if they see a guy who continuously struggles and continuously just gets chances because he's a first round pick, that's not, that's not how you run a good organization or run a good team in my mind. So I don't know. I don't want to speculate and I'm not trying to say this. So there, like, there are
1: legitimate questions there. Uh, yeah. Not to cut you off. No, that's and fine. The, the main speculation is who on the coaching staff is the one that, that has their doubts. Now, uh, some people would say ultimately it's Sean McDermott's choice. He's the defensive coordinator and the head coach of the, the organization. Uh, I think there's other people that speculate that, uh, it could possibly be John Butler, the the yeah. Bills defensive backs coach that has his doubts about uh, Kair Elam. Ultimately, John Butler is the one that makes the decisions regarding the Bills backfield. And he's been with the team since 2018. So he, he's yeah. been a, around a lot of talent that the Bills have developed. Uh, Dane Jackson, Levi Wallace, Christian Benford. We've seen a lot of these low-round draft picks really turn into quality starters. And for whatever reason, it really hasn't worked out with Kair. And it, I think that's the, the, the big question. Um, does the Bean look at Kair and say, we drafted you because of your skill set? We still want to see if you have an ability to, to develop into a, a top end guy. You've only been you're only a year and a half into your career. Is it too early to give up on you? Um, that, that's a tough question because say he was on a, a bad organization or a bad team, he would be able to make his mistakes out on the field mm-hmm. and learn from it, and it wouldn't be a big deal. But being on a championship contender that needs uh, top-end corner play in order to succeed, he's not really getting the opportunity to make those mistakes. And, and the thought process, at least from what I've gathered, is that it's not necessarily that they think Kyir is bad. It's more so that they don't think they can trust him at this point in the, of his career, that there's plays out there to be made that he's not making, and mm-hmm. with a guy like Dane Jackson, um, and obviously now with Rasul Douglas coming in, they they feel like they can move them around more. That they, though they can be more aggressive, and even though Dane might not have the high ceiling that a Elam might have, you know what you're going to get out of him on a week to week basis. And sometimes the, the conservative nature of coaching staffs and and how they, they put together their roster, they would rather have someone that is a consistent mm-hmm. deal on a week-to-week basis that isn't going to be too high or too low, rather than have that guy that maybe once in a while you'll see sprinkles of elite play, but then you might also see games where uh, they single-handedly can cost you uh, defensively. Mm-hmm. As far as his injury goes,
2: he's been on the injury report somewhat quietly since October 18th, I went and mm-hmm. looked back So it's not like this is an injury that just popped up all of a sudden. Um, I heard somebody say that this was something that happened in training camp, but if that had happened in training camp, he would have been on the injury report much sooner as far as I would figure. Uh, Someone must must have said that it was a high ankle sprain, which in that case it would be one of those nagging injuries that doesn't go away very quickly or easily. Um, As far as his performance, uh, Sneaky Joe from uh, WGR 550. And yes, let's take this with a grain of salt because most of this, some of this is PFF. I hear you out there, Aaron. Um, <laughs> he's actually, Kyer is actually grading better in zone than man coverage. And his targeted percentage on coverage snaps is actually less than Benford and Jackson and Tredavius White. So, from an analytics standpoint, he's not, you know, completely bad but obviously if what you say is true Bunt, that there are plays out there to be made that he's just not making almost sort of sounds like a Tremaine Edmonds situation where he's out there you know with a lot of good athleticism but he's not making the splash plays that others around him are making so maybe they still believe he can develop into that guy and the injury is just a convenient way of uh stanching him to the side and bringing in someone else to help a different position on the defense
1: the the tough part is you look at the way this organization has the corner room structure. Now that you have Russell Douglas in the mix, assuming that you you take his option next year, Trey White is going to be back. Uh, Mm -hmm. I I know people keep Mm -hmm. questioning his his future. Assuming he doesn't retire and he he still wants to continue playing football and he still has two more years left on his contract, Mm -hmm. and he should, for all intents and purposes, be back healthy for, for next season. You then have Trey White... Rasul Douglas and Christian Benford, you already have a numbers uh, issue at corner going into next year. The question then becomes, do you convert one of them to safety? Fans never want to hear that stuff because uh, they hear about the <laughs> tackle, the guard, and they've seen how that worked in the past the Bills. So uh, then you start having this whole question, like when is he going to see the field? Even if, uh, if if he does, the only way he might is if with injuries or other things happening. I can say this. Kier has, Kier does believe that there's guys higher up in the coaching staff, including Sean McDermott. He believes that they have faith in him. Mm-hmm. It's other parts of the coaching staff that he has his doubts. Now, if there was a trade to be made, uh, I, I'm I'm not going to rule it out that he, he'll be on the Bills next season. I think it's entirely possible come draft day or some point in the offseason that they could eventually uh, cut their losses. But – At this point in time, eight games into his second year, too soon to give up on him at this point. But uh, I wouldn't rule it out in the future beyond uh, the end of the season into the offseason and next year. That's great stuff. Well, as
2: as far as uh, Kyrie remaining on the team, if uh, Trey is to come back and fully healthy, I mean, as we've seen this season with Trey's own injury, you can never have too many good quarterbacks or Mm cornerbacks quality cornerbacks in reserve yeah. and as far in, in a passing lead, that's key to your defense.
0: Uh, yeah, that's, that's great stuff there. I, I, I think that something just big picture that especially all football fans, fans of any football team need to consider when they're talking about players being sat for everything is we do not know what's going on in those film rooms. We don't know what's going on in meetings. We don't know what's going on in the field. So we don't know where there could be a disconnect with just, the scheme and everything who knows what it is and maybe it is it's a it's a position coach that just doesn't think he has it and that's a thing like these are things that happen more often than people want it's not like it doesn't need to be some big conspiracy theory against kair elam you know like it's just like sometimes it's just differing opinions within a coaching staff because all good even good teams are not going to agree on everything like that's just how these you don't agree with everybody in your workplace every day, and you can still get work done. Like that's this is natural. It's hu- the human element of things, and I think that's it seems to me that that's what's affecting Kyrie as much as anything else. It's not talent. It's not skill set. It's not his. Everybody says he's the hardest worker. He he puts his head down. He's grinding, and and there seems to be some disconnect. I I, I just wanted to bring that up with the front office and coaching staff thing because I had talked about it a little bit. Uh, the other day and got a lot of blowback to the pay the bills twitter from a couple different people and i'm like listen i'm not trying to like say there's some big division between the coaching staff and front office right now like they're not like i'm not saying there's like unhappiness or there's you know anger or whatever like this can just happen like they can they can disagree on a player and still move forward and, and try to be put the best team on the field and i feel like that's the situation going on it's interesting you mentioned switching to safety because you know there is a former nickel cornerback who converted the safety from green Bay on this roster already. And Rasul Douglas, maybe that's, maybe that's kind of an idea with him or, or one of those guys in that role too. I'm interested at in that to see how they use the assets next year, if they do kind of keep Kyer. But like you said, good problem to have. This team wants, it, this team is cornerback heavy. The, the scheme is cornerback heavy and to have a lot of good options going into the next year. Um, it's not the worst thing to have um, to try to figure out. And if it does mean they cut bait with Kyir for hopefully a higher pick than a six round pick, then so be it. But go ahead.
2: It's just uh, important to note that uh, of course, after the whole Wyatt Teller situation and how that trade worked out for the bills uh, being has said that he is much more hesitant on letting go of a guy too early before uh, they let him give him enough chances to develop.
0: Fair. It's completely fair. And I, I don't think that trading him, at this deadline would have been the right. I don't think I would have recommended that. I think I'd rather – if you can do this, if you can be creative, stash him, keep him around, and and they're going to have to be creative when once he comes back eligible off the IR and everything. I'd rather do that and figure out the ways and have hope that you can do it. And if it doesn't work out in the offseason, it doesn't work out. But uh, before we get to the bills bengals we'll get off the Bills for a second because there is one big game we need to talk about that is – Huge for the Buffalo Bills and the Bengals implications going forward. The Chiefs and Dolphins playing Sunday morning in Germany. And I just want to know, I'll start with you, Parthy, and then go to you, Bunty. Who do you want to win? Who do you, if you are a Bills fan watching this game Sunday morning, who do you want to win this game? Because I think there's arguments for both sides. Um, if you were cheering one way or the other, I wouldn't blame you.
2: I'm just looking at the playoff standings. Kansas City stands at the one seed. Miami's the two seed right now. So it's almost like a pick your poison. Uh, Do you want to go back on the road to Kansas City in the playoffs potentially? Or do you want to face the high powered offense of the Dolphins, which it seems that we're very much able to handle and who Josh Allen is able to feast on their defense on a regular basis. So I almost would. But if the Dolphins win, then they have a better chance of winning the division. But you can you you can make the argument that they can easily dispose of the Dolphins uh, come playoff time. Uh, it's one. It seems like one of those games where you know it's it's like seeing the Cowboys take on the Patriots. You don't have no idea which one you're gonna hate more until kickoff starts, and you find yourself instinctively rooting against or for uh, certain plays there. Uh, I will say Dolphins, Twitter, uh, some of those guys like, you know, Nikki Smokes or whatever are decent guys, I guess, once you meet him in person. I haven't had the pleasure, but people I know have had, and they say he's, you know, a decent guy to hang out with, unlike his Twitter persona But uh, a lot of Dolphins fans seem to be very standoffish with Bill's fans, a lot more so the Chiefs fans. So just for the pettiness of it, I would guess I would root for the Chiefs more so than the Dolphins. But I'd rather not have to go to Arrowhead, you know, go to the Arrowhead Invitational for the AFC Championship game one more time. Have them actually play on the road road playoff game for a change, you know?
1: Yeah, I'm pulling for Kansas City 100%. To me, this isn't even a question – in my mind, I know there's the argument of, well, you, you want to go after that one seed. You need Kansas City to get a few losses. With the Bills' remaining schedule, I don't see a scenario where they're even going to be in contention for a one seed at the end of the year. So I, I'm not even thinking one seed at this point. Maybe in the past or if they had gotten off to a hot start, I would have thought it. Right now, I'm just thinking try to find a way to win the division uh, any way you can. And I don't see Miami losing more than uh six, seven games this year. I think Miami has a chance to be an 11-12 win team. So if they're going to, if you're going to win a division, you're going to need Miami to drop some of these games. So uh, that would start this weekend. And to be honest, when it comes to the Bills road in the playoffs, I don't know if it even matters home field versus going on the road. Uh, We saw the Bills have uh, a great offensive performance on the road in Kansas city two years ago. And it was 13 seconds that ultimately doomed them. And then last year they were home in snow and they lost by 17 points to the Bengals. So I, I think there's an argument to be made that the bills uh, actually fare worse in bad elements than what they would in good elements. So if the bills did have to go on a road to a Miami or a Kansas city, I think they would actually be okay for the most part outside of the whole uh crowd noise and dealing with uh, momentum in a uh, road atmosphere. but Wait, wait, wait. Crowd noise yeah. in Miami?
2: Have you heard such things?
1: Honestly, I, I think the Bills might enjoy playing in Miami in January, to be honest with you. It yeah, might it'd be a nice for Yeah, um, But when I, when I look at the entire AFC, I don't have the Bills as one of the top. Uh, I don't have them as the top team in the conference right now, but I don't think the AFC is the way it really has been in recent years. Uh, for the last like four or five years, every year it's been Kansas City. How do we beat this team? How do you get past this Kansas City squad? And granted, maybe they'll get to that point by the postseason. But this Chiefs team has real deficiencies on offense uh, outside of Travis Kelsey. They don't have any playmaking receivers. Uh, they're very weak at the the wideout group. Uh, Pacheco is probably their second best weapon on their their entire offense behind obviously Mahomes and uh, Kelsey. So. I think even if you have to go on the road in Kansas city, it's a winnable game. So uh, I'll, I'll go uh, Kansas city for that standpoint, just because I would rather not be a five, six, seven seed in the playoffs. Uh, but we'll see how it plays out. Bunt, as you said, the KC's offense has not been as explosive as of late.
2: Uh, I mean, if you get the, if you get exposed by the Broncos, And you snap your 16 game, whatever it was, winning streak, then clearly you had some deficiencies. But the Dolphins, on their part, as far as I know, have not been able to beat uh, over 500 teams so far this season. So I think there's questions on both sides of this particular game. And we got to see how it works out to see who's going to be the number one, likely number one seed going forward.
0: Yeah, I'm. I'm in complete agreement. I'm cheering so hard for the Chiefs here. This is the division is the first thing you want to lock up. I think that that's what the the coaching staff and the players would say too. to, To handle your division first, and so they're keeping pace with the Dolphins. I think is the most important thing. And with a big game coming Sunday night, and who knows? I mean we'll we'll get into the preview here in a second there but i would rather just have the dolphins i first of all rather have the dolphins keep losing to good teams like you're saying because they still have not proven it and i do think there's something someone i can't remember who it was the other day but they they called the dolphins like a comparing to a basketball team like a great three-point shooting team a great outside team who just can't who when they get into a bully ball game they're not going to be able to to do it and i think that being physical with the dolphins has shown that you can you can affect them if you can affect their timing get pressure right up the middle which that's why i love the linval joseph signing i am just i would rather have the trenches than the outside weapons all day every day and i think that that can be effective and with this Dolphins team, I think that if you mess up their timing, it's they. I don't know if they have counter punches. I feel like that's the biggest thing. Is like the Dolphins can hit you with their stuff, and if they're ahead, if they're playing at their pace, it's damn near impossible to stop. But when they get punched in the mouth. I have not seen them really been able to respond. And it's been for a year and a half now. Like that they've been they've had struggle with counter punches back in, in these types of games. So really interested to see. And like you said, it's not as good of the Chiefs team. It's not as explosive of the Chiefs team as it has been in years past. But their defense has really led the way. And Spags has that groove. That what are they ranked number two in the NFL right now? Like this, this defense has been physical. The defensive line has been great. Karloftis has been awesome. Um, you've just seen great impact and Spagnola scheming up great things. And I think they're going to have a good plan to get after Tua and disrupt his timing. And I'm very interested to see what the counterpunch is from McDaniel in a game like this. Um, it's going to be fun, but I, I'm definitely cheering for the Chiefs. I think that you should not be cheering for the if Dolphins at any like, point. If we're cheering
2: for the Chiefs, we better hope that a certain someone is able to make an overseas uh, visit a. because Travis Kelsey doesn't seem to be doing well when a uh, significant other isn't around.
0: I saw people like, "Why are we talking about this? This is so dumb." I'm like, "Why? Are, what do you mean? Like, it's 60 yard difference between games is crazy." But and, ahead, like, and, and the point about it's
1: huge too. I, I know points per game isn't the best metric to like determine yeah. offense. Like, there's EPA, there's DVOA, there's a lot of more in depth um, metrics. But Kansas City is only averaging 23 and a half points a game this year. They're 12th in the league in scoring. This is not some Dynamite offense right now. They they scored 28 points in two games against Denver that allowed 70 points in 60 minutes against Miami. It would take Kansas City five and a half games at their current rate to get what Miami <laughs> had in one game against Denver. It, the, everybody's talking about this Bills offense struggling. The Bills are averaging 27.8 points a game. They're down basically less than a point from last year's total. Kansas City is down six points a game from when they had the enemy last year. So we're, we're all worried about what's going on in Buffalo. Kansas City, if it wasn't for their defense, they, wouldn't, they would be a barely 500 team right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they held they scored 17 points in a win against Jacksonville. They, they barely got past the Jets. I guess the difference between KC and Buffalo right now is KC has found a way to win some of their close, difficult games, while the Bills have found a way to lose some of their close, mm-hmm. difficult games. Do we know what the Chiefs' points
2: per game is when uh, Miss Swift is in town? she is basically she is basically the sabers goat heads of the kansas city chiefs at this point
0: (laughs) it's it's wild i really hope she's there i we need that we need the we need the the walk-in of taylor swift into germany and see how it see how it all plays out but there's something to that kelsey thing i'm telling you like you can people can poo poo it all you want but when you have a i think he's averaging 106 per game when when uh when taylor's there it was like 46 yards when she's not like that's nuts and i, I mean i don't believe in coincidences so i'm just I'm, I'm gonna keep keep note of it for the rest of the year we got, we're gonna keep the kelsey and taylor tracker whether the people like it or not but as we wrap up here let's get into the big the biggest game on sunday bills bangles sunday night football waiting all day really gonna be waiting all day I'm gonna be up eight i'm gonna be up at eight o'clock central time and got to stay up late for this game there's going to be a lot of pots of coffee or something because it's going to be a long day but bills bangles the bangles are talking again bunty this is ridiculous first of all i was i'm going to go all the way back to last year because i understand as an athlete you need to have a chip on your shoulder you want to you know you want to find motivation any way you can I thought it was so dumb that they were mad about the ticket sales for the game in Atlanta because it's just logistics. Like it's literally just like you can't sell in tickets and have people buying plane tickets from Buffalo to Atlanta on Sunday night to a week. It's just, it'd be miserable. That doesn't make any sense. So I understand you wanting to have something to complain about and wanting to find some motivation. That's fine, but then they bring it back up again this year, saying the Bills would have beat them. The Bills players said they would have beat them if it wasn't snowing. Which, if any Bills player, and I saw the Isaiah McKenzie quote that has been referenced, and he didn't really say that. He just said that they were running basic routes in the Bill, and that they were the Bills probably should have done something similar to that. But if a Bills player was saying that the snow caused them to lose, like that would just be the most, just wouldn't make any sense for that to be a real narrative. So this this Bengals team. They're, they're out talking again, but just on the field. Burrow's been back, look back to his normal self. He looks like he's finally healthy. They beat up a, a Niners team last week, and that looks like a big win, but the Niners have been really struggling the last couple weeks. And obviously enough where they go out and get probably a rental at Chase Young to try to help their pass rush, which has not just not been as good as it has been in years past. But Burrow looks like he's back on his game, Bunty. I feel like the biggest thing I'm worried about is Joe Mixon running the ball with the way the, the Bill's defense is kind of set up, but maybe if Lin Valley, I don't know if he's going to play or not Sunday. I don't know if it was the stool. I'm sure we'll see. That'll be a big storyline going up to game time, but just what's your like a thousand feet in the air view of this game. Big picture. What are you looking for to see uh, for success from the bills and the Bengals? Like if the bills are going to win, what would they need to do? If the Bengals win this game, what would they need to be successful at?
1: Yeah. First off, I am really nervous about this game. Uh, I think the Bengals are favored and rightfully so. Um, Burrow's back healthy, he looks much better right now. Uh, The metrics don't like the Bengals this year, but I think when you're talking about a a quarterback that was injured that wasn't able to be himself, I don't think the metrics are really a true representation of what Cincinnati actually is. They're much closer to being um, the good version of the Bengals than what they were at the beginning of the year especially when you have a, a calf injury like Burrow had his entire game is based off of timing accuracy yeah. and and even some mobility in the pocket to get around you take away that mobility uh, you take away the timing and some of the other things with his injury he was just he was a shell of himself now he is starting to get that stuff back um, it, it is interesting watching the Bengals this year uh, they're four and three they haven't even won I don't believe they've won an AFC game yet. Uh, All their wins have come schedule. against the NFC West. So, yeah, Pretty so this is, a game, this is a game Cincinnati needs not only to uh, to get to five and three, but to help themselves in any potential tie-breaking scenarios down the road. If they fall to 0-4 in the AFC, that's a brutal start to conference play. And when you look at this Bengals team, we always talk about the big three, Jamar Chase, Tyler Boyd, uh, um, and T. Higgins. And let, let, let's be real. Outside of Jamar Chase, Higgins and Boyd have been awful this year. Mm-hmm. Like, neither of them have, have, have performed at a, at a decent level. And it's funny, we have this conversation. Oh, Gabe Davis isn't a good enough wide receiver, two in Buffalo. Gabe Davis is smoking both of them mm-hmm. so far this season uh, in receiving yards and touchdowns. Uh, they would love to have Gabe Davis production in Cincinnati from their number two and number three receiver at the current moment. Uh, so I, when I look at this game, what what I find interesting is uh, on how does the Bills' defense fare against their offense? Because if the Bengals' offense is back, that, that looks like a tough matchup uh, for the Bills. Uh, Mixon was able to run all over the Bills last year without Daquan Jones in the game. And the Bengals' big three receivers were too much for the Bills' secondary to contain. Will we see Linval Joseph right away? Or is there going to be an acclimation period? Will we see Rasul Douglas in the secondary uh, right away? That's a question. Will there be chemistry uh, issues? Will there be breakdowns at any point in time? Uh, I think it's going to be tough for the Bills to hold the Bengals under 30 points uh, on Sunday. Not saying they can't, but I think it's going to be tough. So then I look at it at the other side. Will the Bills be able to score on Cincinnati? Uh, The Bengals' defense has not been great by any metrics this year. They've been pretty average for the most part. They've been getting uh, run over. They've allowed nearly 1,000 rushing yards this year. Teams have had a lot of success on the ground against them, which points to maybe giving Cook uh, more opportunities in the run game this week. Where the Bengals have been saving themselves is they have been great at takeaways, they—I believe—they already have close to ten interceptions on the year. They have been just saving themselves that way. There was a game against Seattle where they had three goal, um, three red zone stops back to back to back in the fourth quarter, kept them from scoring any points to hold on to a win. Uh, they they came up with big plays against the Rams earlier in the year. Uh, so, if not for some of those games, you might be looking at a two-win, uh, three-win Bengal team. Below 500, but I think for the Bills to have success, uh, they're going to need to find a way to hopefully keep the Bengals in front of them, limit their explosive plays, and then be able to run the ball effectively and and remain balanced. Because if the Bills aren't able to have some of that balance offensively, I fear that with a defensive coordinator like Lou Amaro, I always mess up his name, (laughs) the (laughs) Bengals defensive coordinator, I. If he can make you one-dimensional, he can attack you and present trouble for you, as we saw last year in the playoffs. So I think the Bills need to have uh, some balance. And I'm not saying 50-50. I'm saying find a way to have effective runs sprinkled in uh, with your passing attack and spread it out. Get Kincaid involved. Get Shakir involved. Get Gabe Davis involved. This cannot be a let's force it to Stephon Diggs 15 times uh, mm-hmm. game because we've we've seen what happens when the Bills – just lock into one or two players.
2: Uh, just to give a tale of the tape here on overall offense and defense, uh, Bills currently ranked uh, fifth in total offense and fourth in scoring offense versus the Bengals are 27th in total defense and 16th in scoring defense. So it's a very favorable matchup on paper, at least. Uh, the flip side of that is the Bills' 13th total defense and third in scoring defense, mm-hmm. whereas the Bengals, at least overall this season, uh, 28th total offense, 24th scoring offense. And I say overall because Joe Burrow that first month did not look like himself. The nope. Bengals were not producing at all. Uh, whether he's coming on the last few weeks, uh, I mean, that CL game, It were those Bengals creating turnovers or were those Seattle – making miscues on multiple red zone opportunities. Mm-hmm. And the Bengals got out of that by one. It's not unlike uh, the bills escaping the giants where the giants had a couple of goal line opportunities at the end of both halves. So you could easily make the case that uh, Cincinnati and Buffalo should have r- lost both of those respective games. But uh, on top of that, also you want to, if we want to talk about DVOA bills are third, third in offense and 14th in defense, Uh Bengals DVOA 16th in offense and 17th on defense. So very middle of the road as far as the Bengals go as far as their total performance this season but of course uh, with the Bills finding their groove with uh, perhaps the more 11 personnel up-tempo no huddle types of offense and uh, Joe Burrow finally getting comfortable coming out of his injury and uh, starting to distribute the ball a little bit more we're going to see how that plays out as far as uh, the new look of both of these offenses uh, in the wake of uh, certain changes or uh, getting healthy as far as a Cook versus Mixon, I have found a little uh, chart here. Success percentage against light versus heavy boxes, success being you know, four yards of play, I believe. Uh, Mixon has a 48% success against light boxes and only 28% against heavy, whereas Cook has a 52% uh, success against light boxes and 43% success against heavy boxes that's actually comparable with uh, christian mccaffrey so uh cook's looking very efficient uh and the bills are not running as often as the Bengals, but they're having a more uh efficiency and success uh on a more frequent basis than the Bengals. Mm-hmm. uh i believe uh, Majka, you uh were asking about explosive plays should we should we expect fireworks for with both of these defenses the, the way they're playing uh Think about uh, Leslie Frazier's defense going back to last year's playoff game. Uh, The infamous – still image of a third and fourth play where the quarterback were all, all playing uh, seven yards off the line of scrimmage. And people are basically just in an uproar. Uh, Tyler Boyd, you want to talk about the uh, Cincinnati quotes in the wake of that game. Tyler Boyd was saying the bills defense is very basic. They didn't do much in disguising or trickery. And if we know anything about a Sean McDermott uh, called defense this year, they're coming with a lot of uh, simulated pressures and a lot of disguises. So, uh, the, the Bengals can expect a much different looking defense. Uh, obviously, it's in favor of them because of injuries to all the players that we know about. But uh, if Sean McDermott can scheme up a much more complicated defense than what the Bengals saw this last year, then it's much more favorable for the Bills offense to score more than 10 points. Uh, as far as Lou Amarillo's defense, uh, from what I've heard, they're also not unlike Sean McDermott's defense. They're a bend but don't break. Scheme. They force a lot of field goals, and they find the sacks in the turnovers. They're actually the second in the league in turnover differential. Mm. Uh, they're they're having a lot of rushing yards uh, from their quarterback. I think uh, as much as uh, Joe Mixon. Um, let's see what else here. Uh, how Burrow and Allen are going to be defended here, possibly uh burrow has been passing primarily out of the shotgun at least early on and that might have been due to his injury but in the last few weeks of course as we said he's been looking a lot better he's been starting 17 of 19 i believe the last two weeks he's done that Mm. uh but as we said uh sean mcdermott may come with a lot more trickery a lot more uh simulated pressure and we'll see how that can affect burrow and getting him out of his comfort zone uh let's see Uh, the bills as far as uh who's going to be able to get to the quarterback on defense. The bills had the best pass protection composite rating. And that's a combination of the ratings of PFF sports illustrated and ESPN. They're number one overall, the Bengals are 24th. So maybe if we can, if maybe if, uh, the pass rush can get up to speed if uh, Von Miller can find his groove. Mm. We can get to the quarterback, but then again, how many times have we heard that before? Not just for the Bills, but in football in general. All the other the other teams' <laughs> offensive line has starting a bunch of rookies. They're banged up. They're vulnerable, and then we can't you know even breathe on the quarterback to save our lives. Uh, there was an interesting little thing I saw as far as the Bucks game. Uh, the Bills' success rate uh, for yards of play. In no huddle, the 20 plays they ran on no huddle was 65%. And no team in the NFL has had more than 50% in a single game. So that tells you the effectiveness of the no huddle that uh, they're taking on a little, hopefully, in this game and as they had recently. Uh, and your boy, Kevin Masari on uh, your podcast uh, brought up an interesting statistic about uh, rematches. The Bills are 7-0 and since twenty the 2020 playoffs in rematches to mm. teams that they have previously lost to. So let's... Maybe have a little faith in McDermott to make the adjustments necessary. And as uh, Isaiah McKenzie pointed out, maybe their route should have been a little more basic. But of course, we're not going to be facing, hopefully, we're not going to be facing that, those kind of conditions down in Cincinnati. So it could be a completely different ballgame that we're going to be seeing. But then again, when we did have that Cincinnati game, or at least the quarter of it for tomorrow hamlin happened essentially happened uh the bills the Bengals, were essentially moving the ball pretty well against that particular defense on that particular day or that quarter i should say so it's hard to a lot of things are different a lot of things have changed as far as uh how both teams have fared early on and now most recently in the most recent games so it's going to be interesting to see but as far as i'm concerned if we once we get to predictions i'm going to say that uh until the Bills prove that they can beat the Bengals, it's going to be hard for me to buy into that.
0: That's fair. That's completely fair um, assessment. I think this is going to be a very. I think it's going to be a very closely contested game. I think it's going to be high scoring, like you said, Bundy. It, I would be hard pressed to see this Bills defense holding the the Bengals to under thirty points, especially the way Mixon's been able to run the ball and everything. But the Bengals offense has led up a lot of explosives. They've been getting gashed in the run game, and we saw a little bit of it against the Bucks with Josh Allen running a little more. And I I mean, if there's a week that you want to, if, if the idea of not having Josh will run, I know that I've heard this on a couple different podcasts throughout the season early on, is that maybe it was waiting to unleash for this Bengals game in this stretch to really have Josh. I know he's dealing with the shoulder and maybe that will kind of curb them from wanting to use his legs and everything else. But man, if, if they could have a dynamic rushing attack with Involving Allen and the efficiency that you both were mentioning that Cook has had this year, they could find big gashes and really put that defense in a lot of tough situations. And that's what I'm looking forward to the most. I think that they need to I, I really think that the Bills can control this game on the ground um with Allen, with Cook, with Murray. I doubt it's gonna be Fournette just. And using that rushing attack to open up the passing game and the eleven personnel and everything that you said, Bunty, early on too, because I and and using that pace as well. It it seemed like last a couple weeks ago or a week and a half ago. I guess I guess it was last week. It's going to be a week and a half on Sunday. My my time is all warped. I told you guys Um, that the pace just they look so much more comfortable. With running with that pace and running in that personnel, and Kincaid and Shakir looked like they were loving having the opportunity to be out there like the, the two guys who wanted to take advantage of their opportunity. It feels like the Bills found something a, a couple of weeks to, or last week. And I don't think the Bengals' recent stretch shows me as much about what the Bengals are doing as much as it shows me about. Like we said, the the Niners are are a team in disarray, so that's a big win on paper. But that's also them taking advantage of a team who's kind of sliding. Brock Purdy maybe hitting a wall of defenses, trying to kind of figuring out, you know, what he is and causing those turnovers. And turnovers are a great thing, and they're they can that could it's a broken Josh Allen before in games, but turnovers are also. You can't bank on them. They 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 come and go. We know that some teams will have years where they're turning the ball over more than anybody else in the league. And then the next year they're not getting any takeaways, and that can fluctuate from game to game too. And I think we heard it. <laughs> we heard it on Tom Brady's podcast today. Being like, "Hey, Josh, listen, man, take the checkdowns. All right. Sometimes you just got to take the easy ones." And I think Allen's been better at that as the season goes. And I just think Allen looked more comfortable last week um, running that fast pace. He even said he felt more comfortable running that fast pace offense and the way that they ran the offense against the Bucs. So I think the Bills, I'm going to give a score prediction Then I'm going to go to you, Parthy, and I'm going to put you on the spot, Bunty. I think it's a 34 to 31 Bills win on Sunday night.
2: I said that uh, I need the Bills to prove that they can win against a winnable opponent against the Bucs. And they did that. But now I need them to prove that they can win against a not so winnable opponent that they haven't had success with in the past in the Bengals. I'll, I'll say this is a close game, but I don't know that there might be too many fireworks as much as the, both defenses have their uh, weaknesses and are vulnerable in certain spots. Uh, I'm going to say 24-21
1: Bengals. I, I don't have a good gut feeling about this game that doesn't mean I'll be right I've been pretty bad with my picks this year <laughs> uh, I've picked the bills every week and as some people will say oh you're a homer picking the bills every week well I, realistically they could have won every single game they've played this year they just yep. they just haven't um but this is the first time all year I'm gonna pick the opponent going in I, I'm picking Cincinnati 30 to 24. The Bills' defense the first four weeks was the second-best metric defense in DVOA. The last four weeks, they've been 28th. Uh, simultaneously, at the same point, the Bengals' defense went from being one of the worst in the league the first four weeks to one of the best the last four weeks. So it, it's more than just Joe Burrow returning the form. The Bengals' defense has uh, refound itself. They're getting a lot of takeaways, which is luck, but uh, they, have had, they did have the Bills' number twice last year. I believe with that Monday night game. Uh, didn't have the DeMar Hamlin incident. I, I believe the Bengals were on pace to, to score 40-plus in that game. I think that I would agree. have been a, a wake-up call that maybe would have forced more changes uh, in a playoff rematch than what we saw. Uh, one thing I will say is you are talking about earlier in the show how maybe the Bills' defense will be more complicated against Cincinnati and that maybe may cause more issues for Cincinnati's offense. I don't know if complicated is the, the right word. Maybe aggressive would be uh, sure. the problem yeah. with that because the one sentiment that I got from a lot of people that were close to organization last year wasn't that – it was more so that the Bills had an overly complicated game plan last year, that the players had simple game plans all year, and then in the playoffs they tried to throw everything out there. And the players were wondering, why did we, why did we go to all this stuff? What we were – what we were doing all year was working, and then we try to make it all this uh, this weird stuff. Even the the play where they're off the line of scrimmage, there's a lot of analytics people. There's a lot of numbers that show off the line of scrimmage, you actually force the receivers to actually go short of the yard to gain, mm-hmm. and then you just have to get a tackle. More often than that, I, I don't remember how that play how it all played out. I'm assuming they got a first down, but more often than that, you you you're actually setting them to throw short of the chains. Yeah, you just got to make a play on the ball. Um, which obviously last year the Bills didn't.
0: I think it was uh, a. I think it was a, a quick throw to Jamar Chase for six yards. So
1: they, so they did throw short of the chain. Yeah. The Bills just didn't make the play. Yeah. And as but asking I think the
0: guys that, to make a play in the snow against Jamar yeah. Chase is a tough ask too. Yeah. You know, but I hear you it, for sure. It's,
1: it's it's one of those tough things about this game. We we'll, we'll never really know last year how it would have played out. The weather obviously had a factor. Um, Lou Amarumo Rumo had uh, the Bills number. Um, defensively. I think the Bills' offense will be more effective this week. I think they're going to move the ball. Um, at the end of the day, I just don't know uh, if they're going to have the answers for the Bengals' offense, and, that, and that's why I'm going to pick the Bengals in a close one. But to add to your point on that stat that Kevin shared, so 7-0 and since the playoffs and rematches either within the season or the year after the loss If you extend it back to the beginning of 2020, it's seven and two. And if you extend it to the year before 2019, it's 10 and two. So the bills have a great record uh, in these rematches that are within a year played. And then a stat I came up with that I, that I discovered was since 2020, the bills are 12 and three against teams that they lost to the prior season. So this isn't just counting rematches. Say you, say you lost to, uh, the Jets in 2020 or whatever random team you lost to in 2020, and then you played them twice the next year. I'm counting both of those games. But either number shows the Bills have about an 80-plus percent success rate when they play teams the year after a loss. So uh, this is a team that – this is a coaching staff that knows how to adjust. They know how to find your weaknesses, and they don't get exposed multiple times. Uh, it's it's only There's only been three teams um, that really have had the Bills' number in back-to-back games over the last three years. It's Kansas City in 2020 when they won early in the season in Buffalo and then won the AFC Championship. It's Tennessee in 2020 and then 2021, and then it's Jacksonville in 2021 and then this year. Outside of those three teams, no other team has hmm. beat the Bills two consecutive times. Do we that- count the Jets in the Meadowlands? What was that? Do we
2: count the Jets the well, the, the Bills did, did, in the
1: Meadowlands? Uh, the Bills did beat them in Buffalo in between. So, uh, well, at, in the Meadowlands. So in the Meadowlands, uh, yeah. I, you could you <laughs> could technically say that. But <laughs> I I would say the Jets are one of those teams that like you look at them, they are a difficult matchup, Definitely. and it's because they can stop the Bills' eleven personnel. And what yep. gives me a little bit of a worry about the Bills is the Bengals' defense had an answer for the Bills' eleven personnel last year, mm-hmm. and that's mm-hmm. a. That's the biggest thing I will say. I know you guys have to wrap up soon. The Bills brought brought in Dalton Kincaid and brought in 12 personnel this year, not because they thought it was going to revolutionize their offense during the regular season, but because they knew that come postseason time, come playoff time, they needed to have multiple ways, a variety of ways to attack opponents. So when fans are getting frustrated – oh, why are they scoring 24 points a game? Why are they scoring 25 points a game? That's not what fans should be concerned about. It's not about right now. Fans need to realize teams, good teams in the regular season work on their weaknesses so that they're ready to use those in the postseason when they need them. So I know a lot of people were excited about Thursday night and the 11 personnel, and I was excited too. They were moving the ball. They were spreading it out. The Bills are still going to need to use 12 personnel at some point again during the season because that might be what they need on a snow game in January to get by some of these other teams. So uh, I I do hope, even if they do go heavy 11 going forward, that they still continue to sprinkle in 12 personnel once they get back to having a healthy Dawson Knox down the line.
2: Yeah, before uh, Knox got injured, I believe they were actually better at EPA per pass play in 12 personnel and better at running out of the 11. So a little bit of a contradiction
1: yeah absolutely. and uh, but you know what, you're okay with that. The, because you know what? It, it can't, people are saying, oh, too much 12 personnel. Kansas City runs around the similar percentage of 12 personnel at least going into last week is what the bills do. So the bills don't need to run 12 personnel, 50, sixty percent of the time. But if they can run it 25 percent of the time or twenty percent of the time, that's enough to where it could be a help. And the, the one thing that people kind of miss in that whole Tampa Bay game, was after their first touchdown drive in the, the second half against Tampa, they weren't able to finish drives. And you, you heard a lot yeah. of talk saying, well, if the Bills wanted to put up 38 points, they could have. They could have gone for it on the fourth downs. Yeah, they could have gone on the fourth downs. Doesn't mean they were going to convert on the fourth downs. And then secondly, Tampa Bay adjusted. Mm-hmm. Tampa Bay adjusted. They 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 realized, oh God, they have no intentions of running the ball on us. They're, <laughs> they're just gonna throw the ball. Okay. And then the Bills barely crossed 40-yard line the rest of the game. So uh, that might have been a few instances where maybe it would have been helpful to be able to switch into 12 personnel, not for an entire series, but for a play here, a play there.
0: I couldn't couldn't agree more. And the thing that is going to worry me about this Bills team through the rest of the season, through the playoffs, everything else, is this is still not a team – that it's now we're on a year and a half that has had red zone issues and red area issues executing in those, in those tight spots. And that's what this game might come down to too. And it's just, um, if the, it, it comes down a lot to the, they, they talked a lot. There's a lot of the quotes, energy equals execution or, or turning execution into energy and everything else. Um, and has been great at, like you said, taking away teams, fastballs. They did great against digs in the playoff game last year they were <laughs> they were stifled that bills offense looked lost in the beginning of that game on monday night i do think that there's something to the fact that with that fast i don't know what it is i don't know what it is with this pace like you see it that that patriots game maddens me when you get 10 points and then 7 minutes left you can just move down the field like this team they are they're different teams within games i feel like and that's the that's the thing that drives me insane but i'm all your guys worries about the bang, i i would I'm picking a three-point game because I'm hoping that the Bills on a third and goal are able to execute. But I could see them having trouble in those situations. And like you said, Parthi, that that Amaruno is in the same vein as McDermott of one of those bend-but-don't-break defenses. And maybe they turn Josh over in the red zone or anything else. They're going to be – this is going to be a game of, I I really think, the court coming down to the quarterback execution in those moments because I think the defensive schemes are going to be great. And and I think that these guys they've been they've been thinking about it. At least McDermott has been thinking about ways to stop slow down this Bengals offense. Probably all off long, he's probably been toiling over it and everything else. And I'm sure Allen the same. Allen and Dorsey feel the same way. And I'm sure Dorsey hears all the things that you know. Well, not maybe he doesn't hear it, but we see all the things about. Oh, can the Bills score on a good defense? Can they can Dorsey beat a good defense? This isn't a good defense statistically, but it's still a good test for them and the offense as a whole to try to, you know, take advantage of an advantageous defense and uh, and get the job done on Sunday night. That's really all we just need to be. Just need to get the job done. It's going to be a fun one though. I can't wait. I'm still so like never, we were talking about it a little bit before we've got our Sabres gear on just we. how long have I waited in my life to have a Sunday night football game with this kind of aura, this kind of like air of excitement around it and real, meaning to the afc race guys it's gonna be fun let's let's enjoy it sunday night and uh hopefully you guys are wrong and the bills come away with a win <laughs> but uh but i but i don't blame you for picking the but it, it's gonna be a close game and it's gonna be a good matchup and we're at the start of like a nice little rivalry here with the Bengals because people are getting they're getting angry with these like i said i don't like these bangles coming tomorrow. out They're talking talk a little much. too much it's they've, won. they've tomorrow, watched tomorrow too I, I respect, respect. <laughs> like, I, honestly, I
1: do respect them for it. Like the, the, oh, yeah, their yeah. ability to make the dumbest little stuff into <laughs> like motivational tools, like credit to them. Like I, if you had told me half the stuff that like they used last year in the playoff game to pump me up, I, I wouldn't be able to get pumped up. I'd be like, oh. you're full of crap. Like <laughs> this is logistics. Or if like you told me, yeah. oh, they they said they would win in the start, I'd be like, who cares? We won the game. But they, they, they find a way to get. To get motivated, so power to them. Uh, even though it's it's annoying hearing them talk, it's like the same thing as Ohio State beating Notre Dame, and then Ryan Coach Day saying, "Lou Holtz doubted us." Like, who cares? You guys were favored going into the game. Like, like, I, I, and I will tell you one little small thing. Uh, a lot of my uh, followers on, uh, on Cover One they give me crap because uh, Joe Burrow. I actually called his games when he was a sophomore in high school. So uh, oh, that's awesome. Slightly biased whenever I picked the Bengals in a game, but it went from something where, like, I have a Joe Burrow Bengals jersey that I got when he was a rookie in the NFL, and I can't even wear it around Buffalo anymore because <laughs> there's just so much anger. Like, I see it and I get mad, and it's and I love Joe Burrow, but I just that team just annoys me.
2: You know what it is though? That team has watched the last dance and Michael Jordan taking every other thing personally. One too many times, like someone brushes by them and doesn't say hello. They're going to talk crap (laughs) about that guy and use it as motivation to beat them in the game. I don't know if it's just the bills that they try to make. It's
0: not. And it's, and it's really, it's really Jamar chase is the, is the leader of the Joe Mixon talks a lot too, but Jamar chase. This has been Jamar since LSU days. Like Jamar has been a talker and he's been, and He came into the league. Everybody's like, "Oh, this guy's gonna be a bust." He hasn't played in a year, and he can't catch the ball in training camp. Like, that's a good tone to set in with a chip on your shoulder to come in and blow it up. But it's fun. It's I I, like you said, I love it. I kind of love it. I kind of hate it. But that's that's all the fun in sports too. You're I'm wear that wear that jersey proudly. Mm -hmm. Represent Athens, Ohio, Mike. Don't don't let the Buffalo get you down. Yeah, I wish I, I I wanted to have more exciting things to talk about Mac football with you, but I just watched the uh, the worst Kent State game of my life last night. I don't want to talk about them at all. But your Bobcats hey, Mac J-N-O-Cats. football
1: has just been disappointing. Like stinks, Kent State, you you guys are awful right now. My Great Bobcats God. got off to a six and uh, six and one start, and then we lose the my, six and two start, and we lose the Miami Ohio on. A Saturday afternoon with Mac East on the line—it's ridiculous. It's depressing right now.
0: It's sad. I'm ready for basketball season for the Mac. I was hoping we'd have. I was hoping I had you on. We'd have a great you Mac. Saw, you you saw the you saw the projections yesterday. You oh. guys two, us three. Hey, uh, those Kent Ohio games are—they are electric basketball. I'll, you know. If you're ever back in Kent, I'll go see an Ohio-Kent game with you. Okay. Uh, I, I, I'll, I'm down for that. I'm going to keep that in mind. I was a, I worked for Kent State uh, social media, so I was at every football and basketball game when I was at college there, and I fell in love with Kent basketball because it's been it's been a great product for like six years now. It really has. And the football team was, and then, then Deion stole Sean Lewis, and then the whole team left, and we're, we're dealing with a – I a am a little
1: worried problem. about the – uh, the English program at Kent State, though, with you guys not being able to a- able to read or write, but uh, yeah. maybe maybe you guys will figure that out some point in the future. Yeah,
0: I don't know, <laughs> I don't know about that. But hey, I I've got that degree still. That's all they can't take that. Can't read, away from me. can't write, I Kent read enough. <laughs> all right, hey, we paid the bills. Bunch, of, this has been great. Uh, yeah, let's do it. Sunday night football. Waiting all week for Sunday night for Mike Partham for Mike Jake Micah. Have a great night, folks. Go enjoy Thursday Night Football.
2: Good night now.